Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This podcast contains strong language and adult themes from the outset. Hello, everyone, and thanks for listening to Because You Watched, the podcast where comedians get together to come up with brand new TV show and movie ideas. Producer Rory here, standing in for Beck Hill, just to let you know we're away for a bit now, but we didn't want to leave your podcatcher all hungry. So we've put together this very special episode featuring some of our favourite ideas from the last series. This episode contains completely new and original TV show and movie pictures from Michael Legg, Lou Sanders, Laura Lex, Matt Hyten, Jessica Foster Q, and Egg, aka Emily Lloyd Sayani and Anna Long Brophy, as well as featuring our series regulars Georgia Maguire, John Gracie, and Paul Foxcroft, plus me and Beck too. So settle in. Kick back, turn up the volume to a level that's loud enough for you to hear it, but not so loud that it disturbs everyone around you, and get ready for some unadulterated TV and movie gold. Then, once you've realised that that's not going to happen, try listening to this instead. First up, we have Michael Legg's pitch for a post-apocalypse TV show. Michael, what do you have for us? It's a TV show that I'm pitching mm. uh, right now. Um, it definitely falls into... Uh, can I give you the, the exact genre? Oh, please. Yes, please do. It's sort of a post-apocalyptic sci-fi horror romantic drama talent contest. Ooh, that's, okay. Yeah, specific. Y- I yeah, like it. Yeah, that's what I've got for... Let me, let me talk you through. The world is run by the money man. The bookies. Yeah. The bookies now live in luxury while the poor dream of getting out of their hellhole lives by raising enough money to gamble and free themselves from their poverty by singing country music standards and being judged by the public each week. Now, this is all happening after a global outbreak of COVID-73. I, oh, um, no. I should. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I should say that uh, this is actually set in 2173. Now, millions are living half lives, walking like the undead and feeding on human hair. <laughs> it's yeah. just, it's just how the virus spreads. Okay. If you, get your, if you get your hair bitten, you have between three days and 85 years to live. Oh, no. <laughs> now, now, here's where we get to the main story. Buck Butter is a man with three lives. He's an ex-gambler, an ex-country music manager and mogul, and now a single parent with a child who got their hair bitten. Oh, no. Buck has no choice. If he wants to buy medicine to protect his daughter, 
he has to take what little money he has to the only city left on earth, Durham, and gamble. <laughs> yeah, he has to gamble for the first time in 40 years. It will be a walk lasting months, but he has to do it and bring his daughter and any lost souls he meets along the way with him. That's my pitch. Now, now we've got the full context. What is the title of that bad boy? Yeah. It's a road story. It's based on the fact that betting can save your lives. The title is Gamble Ramble. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. I like yeah. it. Yeah, pretty happy with it. Pretty happy with it. <laughs> you know that appeals to me. I love web play. And what, what are people betting on in this in this sort of future? Well, this is it. I... I'm hoping that the viewer uh, in the first episode or two going, oh, I see what's happening. Uh, People bet on horses and then they win money. But, of course, the evil corporation is keeping, you know, is fixing a lot of the race. That's what I'm hoping. But as maybe the series goes on, we find it's not actually horses. Maybe it's, it's people in horse suits, you know. Maybe there hasn't been a horse on earth in like a hundred years well you see well that that perfect that perfectly works mm. yeah because then they they can rig the matches because they're not even real horses and that's why they're so rich yeah it's exactly exactly it's yeah. i mean if that does not reflect exactly what's happening today <laughs> then i don't know what does so your what was your name your main character's name again buck butter butter is in the uh yeah. the piece of food yeah it's in the spreadable <laughs> so, yeah <laughs> buck butter is kind of like your if if you know if this this show, I guess you would say, is what sort of similar to The Walking Dead. Yeah, very, very. That's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping that people that if they miss one or two series, they'll know when they do watch an episode, they've missed nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> a good way to make it. Yeah, it's Walking Dead uh, meets like uh, like Ocean's Eleven. But they've not been formally introduced, so they they're sitting awkwardly <laughs> together. <laughs> right, this is good. This is good. And our pilot episode. What what are we see? How are you setting up the pilot episode? Oh well, the pilot episode has to be. Uh, we have to see how uh, how post apocalyptic uh, this world is. I think. I think we have to see how rich the bloody money corporate men are. The bookies. And we have to see how really regretful Buck Butter is of his previous lives, uh, both in the gambling and music businesses. <laughs> well, the, but also most of these, you, you talk about the big corporations and stuff, feels like there needs to be a mm. big bad, like a main baddie mm. who sort of represents these corporations. I've got some main characters, if you'd like me to talk you through oh, the yes, main please, characters. Please. No, I won't. Yeah. I won't. Additional, like like the Walking Dead, I want additional characters to come and go because I do want people every week. I do want someone to sing a country and western song and the public to judge whether or not they were good enough to be in the next episode of Gamble Ramble. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start with Buck. I'm sorry, I just I've just realised that that would mean this has a one week rolling production. Yeah, time. exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there. <laughs> to be really honest, in a poker. A post-apocalyptic world, you don't have a lot of time if you want to survive. And I think the production really has to reflect that. That's yeah. fair. So let's go through the characters. Buck Butter. Um, I see a lot of myself in Buck Butter. Um, he's in his 60s. Uh, quiet, but full of bitter rage. Dead wife, alive daughter. That's that man. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've come up with another character who he meets along the way. Her name's Gwyneth. Now, Gwyneth is really interesting. Gwyneth is very interesting. She dreamt that Wayne Karate, head of hyperglobal Ladbrokes Corporation, she dreamt that he killed her sick daddy. And now she has left her daddy at home alone to go to Durham to seek revenge. Nice. She's left her alive dad at home to seek revenge for his death that she imagined. But you know how it feels. When you wake up, it feels very real. Mate, yeah, if, you, yeah. if that's how you feel, no one, no one can make you change your mind. Yeah, exactly. Now, I've already mentioned Wayne Karate. Let's have a look at this guy. Wayne Karate. He is a dick. He's money obsessed. He uses orphans as toilet paper. <sighs> he controls. Right, he sounds awful, doesn't he? What an absolute rotter! His toilet must be huge. Really, really (laughs) unsmelly because, like, orphans. Imagine the plumbing needed to flush orphans. Oh my word! (laughs) But do you know what? They probably think it's like a water slide. What it is? It's just a man (laughs) wiping their bottom on them, but then they go down a water slide, which I could think of worse fates. Yeah, the thing is, the thing is, there's such a lack of water in this post-apocalyptic world. That the orphans oh. are sort of pushed down the toilet to clean it on the way. Oh. Like, oh God, like Victorian chimney sweeps. Yeah. <laughs> orphans are water in this post-apocalyptic <laughs> future. So, <laughs> so at one, one point, no. point you have a, I'm sorry, just have a glug, glug, yeah. glug, glug, glug. Ah, refreshing yeah. orphan. I was an orphan. Yeah. I mean, exactly. we are 70% water, so it, it the story checks out. So yeah, you just, if you really force a straw into an orphan, you'll get a pretty good drink out of it. <laughs> now, like a sort, like a sort of writhing Capri Sun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's a Capri Sun, but with an S O N. Yeah. So he's obsessed with money. Now he controls everything, but is often undermined by the cryogenic brain of kindly old Jeremiah Ladbrooks, who opened Ladbrooks back in 1965 as a children's hospital. Oh. You, you, can, you can see they're not going to get on. Mainly because he keeps drinking the patients. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and that's a big no-no as far as kindly old brain in a jar Jeremiah. So I'm, assu- I'm assuming to make sure that no one votes off the, uh, the lead villains or anything, that Wayne Karate is going to be an absolutely exceptional country, country singer. Oh, I mean, he's going to sing like the man in black himself. He's going to. You, you will hate that guy, but that voice. Will Smith. Yes, yeah. exactly. You can't deny it. You can't so, deny so that. He'll, a, be, he'll be rapping. Or, I mean, the worst rapper in the world. He'll be doing all of that. But we'll, 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 we'll love him for it. Also, at the end of every episode, just at the end credits wrapped over like the end of a Will Smith film. Yeah, it's exactly that. Great. <laughs> yeah, it's a country music show. But I absolutely insist on Public Enemy doing the theme tune. I, I insist on it. Nice, <laughs> fantastic. So well, you've got Public Enemy in there now. Who do you see playing these characters? Then who who would be Buck Butters? Right. Well, I I've I've done some initial casting. I I'm sort of seeing Buck Butter, sort of like Billy Bob Thornton. Uh, you know, because Billy's got those sad eyes. I think we all fall for. Um, I see Gwyneth as Rosario Dawson because she's feisty and she looks mental. You know, she looks like she could really... Is she the one from uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine? Rosario Dawson has been in uh, Sin City, Seven Pounds, a movie called Travis, Zombieland's Double Tap. I'm way off. Yes. She just looks like at any given moment she could completely change personality and throttle you. 
<laughs> and I like that about her. Yes, it's endearing. Yeah. Uh, now, Wayne Karate, that's the one that you, you've got to nail it. You've got to nail it. Absolutely. And I want Wayne Karate to be absolutely despised the second you see him. So, Tom Hiddleston. <laughs> I mean, I know. He's a good looking fella. He's a good, well, maybe, but like, you would never get bored of hitting him with a spade, would you? I've got great news as well. Tom Hiddleston, I've got a video here of Tom Hiddleston playing an acoustic guitar. He very much, I think, could hold up his end of the bargain in terms of country music. Exactly, yeah, of course. As soon as you said Tom Hiddleston is playing an acoustic guitar, a little voice in the back of my head went, oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously this this idea has got legs. I mean, loads of legs if you include the orphans. Um so how are we going to pitch this to... We're back in the real world now. How are we going to pitch this to a commissioner? Because like, I think it's always really good to have a stunt. Like, how are you... If you walk into the into the boardroom where there's all these uh, commissioners looking at you, you're about to pitch the Gamble Ramble. What is the thing you're going to do to just shock them, to really get them on board immediately? Have you got, like, some kind of stunt you can do? Well, I mean, you could burst into the room screaming and throw water in their face. And they go, did you not like that? Well, guess what? In the future, there is no water, so you'll be fine. In the, in the future, that would have been a child. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you that. think that was bad now? Imagine a little boy in your face. D- 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 edit that out. Edit that out. For the love of God, edit that out. Next, it's time to get all lovey with Lou Sanders as we brainstorm her idea for an opposites attract romance. Lou, what have you got for us? Mm. Tell us, tell us well, what I, you're working with. My title apparently is the only thing they've got in common is they're both gay. <laughs> <laughs> that's the title, not even the tagline. Yeah, that, that is the that's title, the title. Of the film. Yeah, yeah, you go in strong. Let them know from the outset what it's about. Don't waste people's time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Okay, it's a married couple. You think it's another heteronormative film with a hot man or a hot woman. But wait, plot twist, they're both gay. They help each other get real and set each other up with people becoming best friend wingmans. Yes? Hello? Ah. <laughs> but so, so they don't get along though. How do they not get along in other ways other than... <laughs> Look, what it is is, what it is is, there's a man and a woman. They're together. You think, oh, yeah, we've seen it. Hello? Turns out mm-hmm. they're both gay. Mm-hmm. Now... The relationship's falling apart and then um, they just basically help each other become the best people that they can be. At the end, right, the woman becomes a human rights lawyer and doesn't settle down and the gay man, um, she gives him away. And then, get this, bit of a plot twist coming up. I hope you're sitting down. She gives <laughs> the this lovely uh, couple, this gay men's couple, <laughs> she gives them her womb to have a baby. Now, when you say gives them her womb, I, I take it inside. Yeah, it's still in her. Well, we can dis- <laughs> we can dis- we can discuss the ins and outs. <laughs> is it sci-fi? You know, is it sci-fi? Yeah. And she's taking that womb yeah. out because she's busy. She doesn't want to. Yeah. She's a human rights lawyer. She's changing the world, right? Does she want to grow a baby inside? Her? She ain't got time for the morning sickness. She's got six a.m. meetings. You know. Yeah. So she's a human yeah. rights lawyer. So I guess the opposite of a human rights lawyer is he like really into like capital punishment and stuff? Is he like really evil? Yeah, like you know how. Um, queen guy freddie mercury yes he was married to a girl and he really loved her but and they were like soulmates but they weren't romantically 
uh, very good for each other because of course he was gay and yeah. they mm. this couple are really close and they love each other but they both have to then come to terms that they think they might be gay and she sees him be gay first and she's devo and then she realizes she's gay so it's like an awakening film it's like a, yeah. a second coming of age i think that's a really nice i like the idea that the the opposites attract thing is actually it's the it's the opposite of opposites attract it's two yeah. similar people who can't yeah. who who can't be in love it does go against the title of the film which is all the only thing they have in common is that they're gay oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. i mean uh, looking at the title now in the film black day we're all thinking oh is there anything in the play on words of bye because they're saying bye but they're also oh bye. yeah bye oh, bye baby like goodbye bye bye, <gasps> bye, bye baby because they're both bye and they're having a baby yeah well, we... bye bye uh, baby it's we've excellent. got it we've got it i should check though are they bi or are they gay? Well, they sleep with each other and get off on it. So you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> How do they discover that uh, the other person might be more attracted to the same sex rather than them? Um, well, maybe it's, um, they've come across an iCloud folder. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I think what it should be is that we should meld love.com as a website idea and Bye Bye Baby. And the idea is they're, they're both on this buy website because they're actually looking at other people and they're curious and then they may oh actually maybe they have maybe they have uh gen- gender neutral names and they start chatting each other up they're like oh no uh, uh was yes. you, i wasn't actually what i i didn't want to attract you because i'm actually looking for someone of the same gender and they're like me too and then they're like oh so we can be best friends and also support each other in our romantic endeavors and then that's really nice the womb thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's for the producers to sort out. The womb thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do they fall in love all over again now that they see themselves as the sex they're more attracted to? But then, as as a in a mirror to them falling more in love, they also realize more about themselves, which leads to the ending where they're like, "Yeah, we still love each other totally, but I'm gonna have to go over here and do this and take my womb with you." Yeah, yeah. Although I take my womb with you is weird. <laughs> Yeah. Look, hey, don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> I think that's great. Uh, Lou, did you have any ideas for, for casting? Any Anyone that you would like to see in the starring roles here? No. <laughs> <laughs> great. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs> we'll leave it up to well, the audience's imagination. See you. Night-night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They I, do something. I do like Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah. If you can factor her in. Yeah. I think she should narrate it. I think there should be a narrator. Yes. And we'll have Whoopi Goldberg narrate it. And the very end of it, she, she, ah, oh, at the end of it, Whoopi Goldberg is, <gasps> is she's, t- she's delivered the baby. It turns out she's the midwife of the baby. And then she's oh. telling the baby about how the parents met. I thought you were going to say she was the baby all grown up. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm, for a second, I thought you're like, she's voicing the baby like, and look who's talking. Like, <laughs> How are we going to get their attention, Lou? What stunt are we going to pull to get the the execs listening? Just walk in, slap a womb on the table. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, or, or maybe just, like, threaten them. Sort of pictures of their family and stuff like that and say, we know where you live, and if you don't commission this, you know, you're going to get it, that kind of thing. It's a bold move. I, I respect it. It's such a lovely film about the complex nature of relationships and love. And what it is that brings people together and treats teaches them to stay and to continue on in life. It's so beautifully, it's so it's so beautifully written. And then to pitch it by threatening the smash that house. Yeah. Look, it's a tough business, Beck. 
you yeah. got to work hard to get your film yeah. made. Coming up next is Laura Lax, who came on the pod to discuss her obsession with romantic Christmas films and to pitch this festive masterpiece. Laura, seeing as you're the biggest number one all-time fan, uh, let's let's hear it. Do you want to give us a title first, or do you want to tell us what the uh, what the rough <laughs> plot is? Okay, I want to I want to like. Um give you an idea of what I wanted to do with this film first. Oh, okay. Because All right. okay. obviously I do watch a lot of these films and some of the things I really wanted to bring into this are a real overblown budget on a magical world that even yeah. though they've had lots of money, they've not done it very well. So <laughs> I really want that kind of a sense. I wanted it to be very magical. Like I didn't want it to be set in normal city or town or world. I, I was like, it's Christmas. You don't get that much chance to have things set in the North Pole. I want it to yeah. be a fully invested Christmas feeling. But I also wanted it to be modern. Mm. So I have called my film Christmas Eve and Christmas Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so it's set in the North Pole. Okay. Now, in the world of this film, Father Christmas is very much a, a concept that exists. All right. Yeah. Um, so we'd probably set that up, you know, quick montage at the beginning of Earth Children believing in Father Christmas, sending off their letters, Father Christmas on billboards, Father Christmas is a thing, right? Yes. Then we get to the North Pole, where we discover that while Father Christmas is the brand, there is not one factory at the North Pole full of elves, but two. <gasps> one factory is run by Christmas Steve. Christmas Steve looks yes. like Father Christmas. He is the the patriarchal figure that we all know and love. He is the 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 Christmas card image of Father Christmas, right? Mm. The other factory is run by Christmas Eve, who does just as much work as Christmas Steve, works just as hard, makes the toys, sends them out, is just as magical, is just as brilliant, but is not Father Christmas. The best she's ever done is manage to get her image out there as a sort of Mrs. Christmas figure. This is obviously a bit annoying, but, you know, it's tradition now. They don't want to ruin it for the kids. But it, it grinds on the workers at Christmas Eve's factory, right? Obviously, patriarchy being what it bees, the Victorians went with Christmas Steve, and that's just the way it is. Okay. Now, the, the Christmas Steve team of elves are kind of getting a bit big-headed about it, right? Like, even though they're both doing equal work, because the Christmas Steve team are the ones, you know, like the front runners, they, they're getting a bit knob-headed about it. And yeah. Christmas Eve is getting kind of annoyed that she doesn't get as much credit, but, you know, she's not that fussed. It's about the children. Her team are incandescent, right? So these two teams of elves in the two factories are just not getting on well at all over this. So a war breaks out between the two factories, right? Now, this is where we meet the head elves of the two different factories. The head of the Christmas Steve team of elves is Nicola Safety. And on her name tag, it would read Elf N Safety. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was oh, searching for that. We searching it, for right? what it was going to be. <laughs> so Nicola, Nicola Safety, head elf of the Christmas Steve team, she leads a raid on the Christmas Eve factory, right? <gasps> what? Oh no, it's sort of hijinksy, but it's real upsetting and the Christmas Eve team can't stand for this, right? <laughs> so the head elf of the Christmas Eve team, Imelda Salation, leads a retaliatory raid back 
So the war is really escalating between these two teams of elves, right? And Eve and Steve are losing control of their respective camps. And they're sort of increasingly desperate that their teams have really lost sight of what Christmas is for. And and they're sort of like, they don't know what to do. And one day they're out wandering, trying to come up with ideas and desperately worrying. And they bump into each other and oh, they get on like a bloody house on fire to Eve and Steve. There's real <laughs> chemistry between these two kids. Now, they agree that the best way to get the, the factories to finish the presents all on time, because obviously you need the Christmas Eve deadline in a Christmas film. The best way to get it finished on time is to merge the two factories and the two teams. <gasps> this goes mm. down like a cup of cold sick with the two teams of ours, right? <laughs> but they agree to get on with it. So they merge the two teams. And this is where we really begin to see the simmering sexual tension between Imelda and Nicola as well. Uh, they, they're sort of like these two really efficient, brilliant elves. They're, they actually really admire and quite love each other too. So there's two love stories in this. Um, now, it gets to Christmas Eve. The presents are ready to go out. They've managed to make it work between the two crews of elves. But on Christmas Eve, Christmas Steve falls ill. <gasps> what are they going to do? Father Christmas isn't able to deliver the presents. Now, obviously, Christmas Eve is like, well, I have the same magical powers as him. I guess I mm. could do it. And mm -hmm. this causes the Christmas Steve elves to point the blame at Christmas Eve for uh, having poisoned him. Uh, <gasps> yeah, that's not fair. So that she could go out and deliver the presents and get the glory. Now, that's a it. huge row breaks up between the elves, right? Everyone's at each other's throats. All of the goodwill of the last few weeks is all falling apart. Um, but Christmas Eve is like, look, whatever we do when I get back, whatever blame I take, whatever, whatever, I've got to get these presents to the kids, right? So she climbs into the sleigh. But little do we know that Nicola Safety, the head elf of the Christmas Eve team, has sabotaged the sleigh <gasps> so With that Christmas name. Eve will fail. I know, oh, right? No. You'd never see oh, it coming. Wow. And no. Christmas Steve will never be usurped. Now, when Imelda Salation realises what's happened, she is heartbroken that Nicola's safety would, would endanger Christmas Eve, would endanger children, would endanger the very message of Christmas. She harnesses the only reindeer left behind, who is a very rude reindeer called Dolph, and she races after Christmas Eve. <laughs> <laughs> and she chases the sleigh down. There's a terrifying in-flight rescue mission and repairing of the sleigh, but they make it through and the last present just about gets delivered as the sun rises. And they get home and Christmas Steve is recovering from his absolute non-poisoning. Everybody's realised that something else happened to make him ill. It wasn't Christmas Eve. Nicola Safety is fired and put to work as the worst job that they can think of. And Imelda Good. is sad, but she has plenty of new admirers now because she did the sort of solo <laughs> rescuing job. And yeah. Christmas Eve and Christmas Steve get married and they agree to alternate on present delivering. And there's just a much more gender-equal nice. future for the Christmas story. Yay! I mean, it doesn't pass the Bechdel test, but that's not the question here. <laughs> <laughs> it absolutely would pass the Bechdel test, though. What, that it takes them getting married to work out how to share Christmas? <laughs> oh, yeah, but the two head elves, like the three of the four main characters that's are true. all women, and the head elves would be discussing presents and all sorts. The Bechdel test, That's yeah, true. There's totally a lot of, that. like, admin chat that's happening at the factory yeah, yeah, that yeah, I yeah, forgot yeah. about. <laughs> There's a lot of admin back. <laughs> I've got, got a couple of questions. One major one. Um, you like Christmas films. <laughs> I mean, yeah. only one. Um, in Christmas films, sometimes like Santa is portrayed as this kind of immortal being, right? Who's just been around for like hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. 
Is that is that the case with these two? Stevie? Yes, I think so. But but what I've done is I've gone for a sort of middle-aged actor and then I've I would want him to be aged up. I'd want it to look very stereotypically Christmas. That would be important. Okay, cuz you're going like stereotypical Christmas. Yeah. So the look is very stereotypical, but the plot is like here's all the stuff behind the branding. I I would yeah. to me that sounds like your ideal actor would be Dean Kane, King of the Christmas films. Do you know what, babe? I've not gone my... The one I've put down on my notes, I've gone for James Marsden. Ooh. Yeah. Who I think is a cracking comedy actor. He's very, very, very funny. He's got very twinkly blue eyes. Oh, yeah. I can really imagine James Marsden being a Father Christmas or a Christmas Steve. Yeah, that's a great show. Yeah, Yeah, he would. Co-star of Sonic the Hedgehog, of course. (laughs) Yeah. Which, which, by the way, was the last film I saw in the cinema before the lockdown. If all the cinemas closed (laughs) after this due to losing money, (laughs) that's going to be the last film I ever saw in a cinema. (laughs) What a legacy. (laughs) (laughs) who else do you see playing the other characters then okay so james marsden is my big ticket actor probably as christmas eve i've gone for a lesser known actress but someone that i think is a phenomenal actress and i wish she was in more stuff i've gone for jenna fisher who plays pam in the office the american yes yeah who's also in blades of glory yes I think she's brilliant and I don't think she's done enough for my liking. So I've got her in as Christmas Eve. Um, Playing Nicola Safety, I've gone for Catherine Hahn, who is just a brilliant comedy actress. And then... Playing, what would I have uh, seen Catherine in? I'm not sure who Catherine Hahn is. She, she, she's in Bad Mums 2016, Bad oh. Mums Christmas 2017. And, uh, I love Catherine she's Hahn. She's got I've a just precedent. Realized she's in Parks and Rec as the sassy uh, yes. PR lady. She's excellent. <laughs> she, I would definitely want her. And then as Imelda Salation playing the other like brilliant together head elf, I want Sandra O. Oh, yeah. So that, that was my casting criteria for those four. We'll be away for a bit, but we're still on social media everywhere. So don't forget to give us a follow on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook by searching for You Watched Pod. Drop us a message, leave a comment, send a tweet, let us know what you think of the series and you'll make Beck very happy. That's right, it's Beck Hill, not producer Rory, that needs a confidence boost. Who who was it who told you that? Next, we have radical dude Matt Hyten taking us back in time, sort of, with his take for an idea for a nostalgic 90s film. Matt, what have you got for us to introduce to the nostalgic 90s category? I think you're going you're gonna to love this. From the title alone, I think you'll know mm-hmm. what this film is. Uh, it's okay. called Prom Hack. <laughs> Prom Hack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You got the vibe already. Do you want to hear the blurb? Of course. Strap in. Okay. Uh, When a meteor destroys the school the night before prom, it's up to a group of nerds to hack into their classmates' home computers to let them know that prom will happen. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) But what do computer nerds know about putting together prom? Can they avoid Chris Christopher, a jock whose dad manages all the bands in town, get enough liquor to spice up and make prom cool, 
and get prom dates. And let's not even get into TJ, the alien who crash landed with the meteor. And it's all about getting rad. So that's pretty much it. That's pretty fantastic. You've just thrown it all at the fan and it's there. TJ must have a celebrity voice, right? Oh, yeah. I um, I keep bouncing around with who TJ would be. So... Would TJ leads... be... I, I think TJ should be a puppet, like one of those alien puppets. Yeah, nice. definitely, definitely. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, like Mac and Me style alien. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but I, I either think it's... So I, I narrowed it down to either Jim Carrey or Robin Williams was who was oh. really owning this for me. Because like everyone thinks TJ is human. Like they've done that that sort of. He's oh. my cousin from out of town, uh, but he's clearly an alien in a backwards cap and a flannel shirt. <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna make it's California man. He's gonna make the nerds cool. Yeah. Um, even though the nerds have no cred, and like when when TJ gets scared, he goes, "I love him." And everyone starts saying it like that's their thing. Like, hey, a whistle, TJ. It's great. Nice. I get the feeling that all of the town's girls are like really attracted to their cousin from out of town. They're attracted to TJ. And then TJ's oh, going yeah. to try and offload all of the women onto his nerd friends. Yeah. There's, a, there's a, scene, a scene where he accidentally goes on a date. And one of the the girls is trying to kiss him, but he's just trying to eat human food. And, oh, hilarious consequences. (laughs) (laughs) And I assume his mouth would be like uh, in his bum or something. And it's all all like, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Slow down, TJ. (laughs) He he actually uh, poops through his face. And so when she tries to kiss him, he's like, why why would you? Face back. You didn't even say a hole just out of his face. There's a a scene... uh, prom where he's everyone's around and going chug 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 and it's it's absolutely disgusting (laughs) maybe he sleeps with um, one of the one of the school kids mums as well you know there's always this was this is my thought i i basically wanted the classic everyone fancies one of the mums and i thought it'd be great to put something like jennifer aniston is the mum but then her daughter who's the sister to one of the nerds is played by courtney cox so like it just it's just really annoying that everyone knows them from friends by this point. It's a mum daughter thing. Yeah. That's, that's so, wait, it. is Courtney Cox just an old sister or is she They've just given her a side ponytail to look young. <laughs> <laughs> so you've already cast them. Did you think of casting for the others? Yes, yeah, so there's there's three nerds. Uh Jim Johnson who would be the the main nerd, who's not quite a nerd, but he's a nerd. Mm. And nerd is said a lot in this film. <laughs> yeah. um, I thought Elijah Wood would be Jim Johnson. Mm, great. Oh, nice. Who, who are the other nerds? So there's two friends. I think Keenan Thompson would be one of the best friends. Amazing. Jim Johnson and Keenan Thompson. <laughs> yep, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He keeps his real name just for that. <laughs> and then I just wanted to get uh, Ben Savage in from... Uh, Boy Meets World. Oh, He's yes. called Randy Pants Down Fitzpatrick <laughs> uh, because one time when he uh, nearly kissed a girl, the jock Chris Christopher pulled his pants down. So now oh, everyone calls no. him Pants Down. But that's that's going to really play off at the at prom when it yeah. it flies back on him. So yeah. <laughs> Yes, Ben Savage is from Boy Meets World, Girl Meets World, Girl Meets Boy. They really strung this out, <laughs> didn't they? Uh, yeah. And Criminal Minds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is also in the Meets World series. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's a spinoff. <laughs> I did I did have a side plot with the cheerleaders. The nerds, obviously, 
need prom dates and in the end they'll be with the cheerleaders um uh but there's a big subplot to, that's going on where the cheerleaders have accidentally woken up an ancient witch uh so they're dealing with that for a lot of the film and i'm not sure how to reconcile the plots but i know at the <laughs> end uh the witch leaves for the big city on a bus and as the just before the doors close she looks to the the cheerleaders and goes in many ways you're like the coven i wish i had and then she goes off to New York. <laughs> Going to New York is so nineties. Yeah, exactly. It's very, it's very clever. How does, that, clever. How does the nerds one finish then? Is that I, I'm guessing that they all get crowned prom king on the internet or whatever. Wow. However, they've hacked it. Things heat up with Chris Christopher. He's been a, a real nuisance throughout the film, really thwarting them at every step. So what happens is uh, they fall out, obviously, because it doesn't look like prom's going to happen. And Chris Christopher comes causing trouble. And what they do, because they're hacker nerds, <laughs> they manage to trick him um, and put him in a VR helmet that he doesn't realize he's in. And uh... He thinks he's he's making out with Jennifer Aniston. Uh, but what's really happening is he's making out with um, Keenan Thompson's dog. And they're, <laughs> they're live streaming this on internet cameras, which are new in the 90s. Yeah. And everyone comes together and says, you know what? We're the last, this is the last time we're all going to be together before we go off to university, guys. We're going to make prom happen. So the nerds meet up where prom should have happened but failed, and the whole schools come together to make it happen. And even though Chris Christopher tried to make his dad, who, if you remember, uh, is in charge of all bands in the town, mm -hmm. he says, there'll be no music here, but no doubt turn up and play anyway. So that'd be oh, nice. wow. What he needs to say, like, I've no doubt there'll be a band playing. Oh yeah, <laughs> they they really they they keep seeding it too much throughout the film. <laughs> <laughs> I think they keep seeding no doubt, but then Hole ends up playing. Yeah, yeah, and and the 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 dad of the baddie turns to the camera and said, "I told you there'd be no doubt." <laughs> Matt. You've got a good imagination. Yeah. I want to know how you're going to get the interest of the big movie execs here. Uh, first of all, I'm going to um, make it look like a meteor's crashed into every American high school uh, <laughs> with a little... Every? Yeah, so it's it's actually it's actually a mechanical egg. The paper mache. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a mechanical paper mache egg. And it, <laughs> if I've timed it right, when everyone shows up to school and is like, what's happened? There's a meteor... A little puppet of TJ uh, uh, opens up and TJ's there and he goes, a rizzle! And then he invites everyone to, to the premiere. <laughs> I think we don't even get commissioners to come to us. I think we get the audience who are, in, who are net savvy web hackers and then they yeah. just hack into banks and take all the money for us so that we can make the film. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I love it. We don't have a production office. We just have a series of Java cafes around the country. <laughs> it's a movie for hackers, funded by hackers, funded by everyone else. <laughs> yeah. Next is closet Star Trek fan Jessica Foster Q and her pitch for an exciting space travel TV show. Right, Jessica, let's get your pitch. Exciting space travel, what have you got? Okay, so um, this is a show called um, 
Planet Whack, Space Cuddle, 8 million. <laughs> oh, I'm already in. I love this already. Um, and obviously it's this TV space adventure series, so um, it's where a load of sexy astronauts live in space on a massive ship where they've got holograms and, like, impossibly well-equipped, both intellectually and physically, doctors, as well as all the usual <laughs> captains and engineers and futuristic technology and probably, like, some improbably lush gardens on the ship even though they're in <laughs> oh, okay. yeah. so um here's what happens uh, or here's like the bulk of it okay so space cuddle yeah. eight million is a massive starship um it's uh. designed um to be like a mediatory vessel sent to resolve any conflict um going on in space right and obviously there's always loads going on because it's space and everyone's really moody and they get a distress signal from a dwarf planet like think of like isle of white but in space real small <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, um um and then it, they, they get there and it turns out the distress is because that the um the aliens that live on this planet uh, are sick of their own children um, so first sort of third of the show is taken up with them like trying to work out why and they realise that the children are geniuses um, and weirdly like so like there's something special about caterpillars on the planet as well um, and they try everything they can to try and sort the conflict out but they they can't and the, the people on the planet are like these children aren't geniuses they're nightmen they sort of disagree they can see that these kids have got incredible talent so they take the children and for a laugh they take caterpillars as well away up onto their ship um but when then they find out when they employ them on the ship um because everyone starts falling out and stuff on the ship and at first oh "Oh, these kids are really creepy and they're making everybody fall out and stuff um but as it turned time turns on it they find out that um the children actually are like whistleblowers because what these genius weird they are weird the children and then some of them will be annoying let's not take them so that they're completely different to children as we know it let's make them uh, pretty annoying especially when they're singing all together and then um, sticky fingers yeah like oh just the sound of it there's so many adverts on at the moment to cheer everyone up with the sound of children singing it's, it's, not, it's such a horrid noise actually <laughs> if it's not your kid isn't it the sound of a child singing so let's make these annoying kids sing all the time and um, anyway they realise that they're not evil they're actually whistleblowers um, what the kids have found out is that all the people working on To Cuddle 8 Million um, have been um, having their food and drinks spiked with mood suppressant drugs um, by some kind of overlord federation. Um, and that was the only reason why everybody on board had ever been so cuddly. Um, oh. And now, because um, these kids had worked this out and as part of the experiment of working it out, had reduced the, the drugs that people were taking, this wasn't um, people like falling out with each other and stuff because something negative would happen. It was just being their real selves and all having to face their own emotions. Um, And so they sort of have to come to terms with whether they can still be a little bit cuddly at least and how much of reality (laughs) they can bear to live in. Um, And obviously like a long way, I want to meet loads of cool space animals and like hurt each other loads and fall in love loads and do all that stuff as well. I love love it. it. I mean, what I've done here is rolled with like exactly the sort of sci-fi TV space adventure romp that I like, which is one that's actually just... A really fiercely messy drama, but just set in space in nice, yeah, in lovely outfits. The space cuddle, uh, eight million. Yeah, they are drugged in this way, presumably uh, as a way to make them more uh, kind of friendly or whatever for their kind of you know intermediary activities. Exactly. So they're kind of very personable and very nice. So they're kind of drugged in this way to be very cuddly and very happy. Yeah. So presumably the kids uh, manage to disrupt this in some way. So then there's a lot of conflict in the show. It sounds like of 
yeah, the crew of Space Cuddle 8 Million kind of still trying to basically learn to empathize genuinely with the, the kind of needs of the people that they meet because now they don't have the drugs doing it for them. Yeah. There's kind of, they need to kind of grow as actual people and do it for real this time. Yes, exactly, yes. Mm. And they won't all manage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they go out the airlock. Yeah. <laughs> and what about the caterpillars? Oh, oh well. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to skip too far. I mean, basically... Do you want to know the big ending? Yeah. Oh, please. Because I think, like, once they've got on there, it's like, well, you know, we obviously everyone's going to make sure the caterpillars are all right and everything. But the big ending will be that they, like, actually, they're going to find their own face, facing their own emotions pretty unbearable. It's certainly the people in leadership on the ship. So they do plan to get rid of the children and in quite a, sort of a bad, murdery way. Mm. Um, but at the last minute, they realise what a favour they've been done and ask these kids to stay but they'd forgotten about the caterpillars who secretly revolted <laughs> and just as they're all about to make friends um the, the caterpillars eat them all up and take over the ship yes <laughs> yeah because <laughs> yes. actually a huge group of caterpillars would be terrifying with those little hairy legs yeah. crawling around are they human-sized caterpillars or actual caterpillar-sized caterpillars oh yeah i mean maybe they have the power to become human-sized because yeah. i think they'd have to to do the full takeover or it'd be quite i wonder if it'd be like grosser and more interesting to watch if they're tiny but they're like other creatures that are small but can eat eat things i just skipped at my own idea my whole back <laughs> but they can like a snake they can eat things that are way bigger than them so you get oh, to watch yeah, a tiny that. caterpillar devour a human and they probably love it on your spaceship because you've got amazing amazing gardens on there. So the caterpillars just like multiply and multiply. I'd like all the characters on board to be named after objects. <laughs> yes. So the captain is called um, Tarpaulin. Ah, that's and, good. Um, I want that to be played by someone super hot. That's a great name. Yeah, like that's going to be Sandy Newton or Christina Hendricks. Um, oh, wow. Um, yes. The leader of the children is just called Trouser. <laughs> the ship's council is called French Horn. Um, um, the onboard chef is called Spork. There's a joyfully promiscuous one um, called um, Showerhead, who Tarpaulin, Captain Tarpaulin, falls in love with. And then there could just be one called Snood that nobody likes. <laughs> <laughs> Not Snood. Not Snood. We always try and have an interesting way of pitching the show to executives and everything. Do you have an, a stunt that we could do? Pop, pop a bit of drugs in, in their coffee around the pitching table. <laughs> Watch them start. I mean... Just sort of like leaning in towards each other a bit more, probably touching their hair a bit more. <laughs> what I thought. Um, it would be really creepy to have a load of kids just like come in and hug them as well, wouldn't it? Loads of really oh, overly yeah, friendly really children. Creepy. Like loads of them just appearing from everywhere. Can they sing the theme tune as well? Mm. Yeah. So annoying. <laughs> yeah. Planet Rock, eight million, going around... <laughs> Solving problems. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was waiting for everyone else to join in. But, you know. Thank you, Dave. Sorry, You're mate. doing such a joyful job. We loved it. It's kind of haunting, and I like it that there's just a single lone, kind of half committed <laughs> yeah. voice singing the theme tune. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And finally, let's hear from Emily Lloyd Sayani, one half of comedy duo Egg, for her idea for a mind-bending movie. 
Hi, Emily. I'm excited and waiting and ready. I want to hear your mind-bending pitch. Okay. Um, well, the thing is with mind-bending films, they have to be quite high concept. Mm. And I think that was a really unfair ask of someone like me. <laughs> okay. I'm nine months pregnant and I found my keys in the fridge this morning. So, <laughs> so it's working title is Maya's Ruin. And the genre I've kind of gone for is um, a dark teenage drama. Mm. Nice. Okay. So character A, Maya, (laughs) 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 is going to uni this fall, right? Yeah. Yeah. So she sets off on a summer adventure to South America. So she's traveling solo, which is a big adventure for her. Mm. Um, She's a real family gal. And she meets a girl on her first night, um, character B, Arlene. Uh, But she's doing the same thing. And she's Mm. travelling alone. And they become just thick as thieves. And they decide Mm. to stick together on this journey. And Maya had planned to go to Bolivia, to the Salt Flats. But Mm. Arlene is going to a place that she's never heard of, near Colombia, which sounds really weird, like no rules apply there, really bohemian. And she thinks, you know, caution to the wind... I'm on my travels. I'm going with her. And all seems really normal at this point. There's just really great montages. It's quite a long journey to Colombia from where Emily they are. loves a montage. I... She lives for a montage. Just, well, you can How, how me... many minutes of the runtime are we accounting for with a montage? Probably Steven? 45. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> that, that'll help us get over the 90-minute line. Really three-hour well. film. So, uh, <laughs> I, you can show me the worst film ever. If it's got a good montage in, I'll be like, redeemed. Fine. <laughs> So they get to this weird village um, and people keep recognising or thinking they recognise Maya, um, you know, as character A, but they keep calling her Amber. But then some of them are quite happy to see her. Some of them are very surprised to see her. Some Mm. people are a bit shifty, but she's like, hey, what a weird, what a weird, fun, bohemian place. And they laugh it off and they get free drinks wherever they go. Um, because they're like, oh, I thought you were Amber. Uh And then it's a bit of a wild night and they get back and their hostel has been robbed. Mm. Now Maya wakes up the next morning and Arlene has gone. It seems like she's continued her travels without her or she's just freaked out. We don't know what's happened to Arlene, but she's just gone. Um, She's not worried about her because it's not Arlene's story. And... (laughs) She realises that her passport have gone and her money's gone and she's trapped here. Mm. So she goes to the locals for kind of help, but no one seems to believe her. And everyone is like, oh, it is you, Amber, telling that story again. Oh. Oh. And so she's intrigued by the confusion and seeing no other options, she thinks, well, maybe I will pretend to be this Amber. People seem to like her. She seems to know people. And maybe I can find out who, who she is and try and find the real person. But it backfires when the only people that will take her in and help her seem to know Amber very well. Hmm. And it turns out Amber was part of an occult-like underworld where everyone wore sunglasses and leather. (laughs) My mind is already getting ready to be bent. And they reveal to her that Amber will have to be killed for Maya to get her life back. And she's oh. like, I'm sorry, you say what? And we're watching it and we're like, what? Yeah. Sorry. What an incredible twist. Oh, yeah, we're twist. watching it, all right. Yeah. Yeah. 
fair. And <laughs> she gets out of it. very <laughs> deep. She's trained uh, because Amber's left this kind of weird cult, um, underworld cult. She's in trouble. So they train Maya up to assassinate Amber so she can have a life back. It's like, you help us, we'll help you kind of thing. Yeah. And she's like, whoa, no, I'm, I'm just a girl on my gap year. And she, but she's enthralled by the fact that magic does exist because she's from our world, right? And, yeah. and she has access to it. And then she sees a social media pic of Arlene heading down to Bolivia and she's in the picture. Hmm. As what? in like her, Maya. Amber is. Um, yeah, Amber is in the picture. Oh. oh, Maya. So she goes on a mission to kill Amber and we get some yeah. lovely cinematography, by the way, because South America is so beautiful. Oh, I can just but imagine it. In doing so, she gets more and more addicted to her kind of powers that she's been taught, more unlikable, more bitter, more pow- powerful. And we wonder... Was she Amber all along? Oh. oh, because she takes to it so well. She takes to it so well and she gets there yeah. and there's this innocent girl being like, please don't kill me. I'm the f- doing and, and uni this fall. I'm, I'm the real Maya. What are you doing? Yeah. yeah. I know nothing about this cult. I've never heard of Nicolombia before. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that is my pitch. Oh my goodness. So is Arlene in on this? Is this a, is this a kind of thing where Arlene... Is is That's like exactly the, what I was at, thinking. At the behest of yeah. Amber, is like drawing this person in to replace her, or is it? Uh, I mean, or she's an innocent person. It depends on whether Maya is Amber or Amber is Maya. And then what happens is uh, at the end, she does kill Amber and skins her alive and realizes oh, it's not me. We've got completely different skeletons. <laughs> <laughs> We were just skin twins, but not actual. Oh no, I've made a huge mistake. Oh well, off to uni. <laughs> I think it's got to be that uh, Arlene, especially, questions that some things don't add up. Some things aren't quite the same. And there'll be there'll be one of those, you know, those classic setups at the beginning where she's like, hey, do you want some hot sauce with your breakfast burrito? Oh no, I hate hot sauce. I hate hot sauce. I'm allergic to hot sauce probably. Yeah. And then in in the second one, she'll be like, hey, can you pass me the Cholula? And then Arlene's (laughs) like, bum, bum, bum. Yeah. And then Hans Zimmer comes in with a really, really slow rendition of Jolene, but it's been changed to Arlene. (laughs) (laughs) We saved the film. What kind of magic would it be? That's what I'm interested in. I'm thinking, what would be the the flavor? Would it be a kind of Mayan, ancient Mayan sacrifice-y kind of on on one of those Mayan temples, you know? Yeah, Mayan is very blood-oriented magic, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's got to be pretty dark for the mind-bending. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Can one of the other twists be that they keep talking about the magic and it's all very scary and dark and leathery and, you know, what's going on? But when it actually comes time to her using the magic, it's just like pulling a hanky out of her <laughs> sleeve <laughs> like keeps changing colours. She, she like, <laughs> makes rings join oh up. She, she, she puts a, a foam ball under a cup and then sacrifices a sheep and then lifts the cup up and the foam ball is gone. <laughs> But it's all played completely straight. Yeah, because like a dramatic dum 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 when she lifts it up and it's yeah. gone. And no yeah. one in the film will question it or even raise an eyebrow. It's all very serious. Um, I think that is part of mind-bending films, though, because you could be like, 
part of the the mind bend could be what genre is this fucking film I'm watching? This is a David Blaine best of. What's going on? <laughs> yeah. Oh, speaking of David Blaine, he's gonna have a cameo. Just hanging in a box. Yeah, you know, he never comes out. There's just a box in the film <laughs> that has David Blaine in it. <laughs> but he never comes out, which They're is another twist. They're all just taking shots off it. Hey, Amber, have another so he's shot. Like, He's actually listed in the credits, like at the beginning of the film with all the big stars. But it's okay because after the film, you would read that in a BuzzFeed article and you'd be like, oh, wow. Oh, my God, yes. Oh my Ten God. things you didn't notice in my I can see, world. I can see the thumbnail now with like a circled bush in the background. Ten uh, things you missed. Uh, yeah. 100%. And every single one of them is really far in the distance. David. Yes. yes. <laughs> This episode of Because You Watched featured Beck Hill, Michael Legg, Lou Sanders, Laura Lex, Matt Hyten, Jessica Fosterkue, Egg, aka Emily Lloyd Sayani and Anna Long Brophy, Georgia Maguire, John Gracie, Paul Foxcroft, and me, Rory Binks. It was produced by Joe Grace and Martin Tricky. <laughs> <laughs>